Got to tell you, you know, sometimes, sometimes the people in the congregation really don't like it when the pastor talks about money. Well, I got to tell you, I have not enjoyed, in one sense, preparing my messages for the last three messages because it's been so convicting in my own life. As a matter of fact, this week, which would be the fourth message in our series on generosity, we've been speaking on generosity. Um, last week we had the guest speakers. And I had in my mind what I thought the last message was going to be like for a long time, before the four weeks, because I thought this is what uh, I was supposed to really share on. Well, it's always interesting when, um, I guess I would say the Holy Spirit challenges you, challenges me that, no, that's not, it's not bad, but it's not, what I want you to share. So as we go into it, the, the, the sermon uh, title last week, and I guess this is part two of last week's title, Towards the Tithe and Beyond, I believe that when you hear those words, the tithe, a lot of us start to tremble in fear already because we don't want anything to do with that tithe. It's going to be different. It's going to be different, I guarantee you. If I'm the only one you've ever heard preach on tithing, it's going to be different than what you've ever heard before because I've never preached it like I feel like I'm going to be sharing it this morning about generosity and giving. So we're going to be looking at towards the tithe and more. We've looked at this scripture a couple of different times in the past few weeks. Um, brief review, we talked about God's created everything. You, all, you have to go only to Genesis 1-1 to see that he created everything. We know that God owns everything that he created including us. We belong to Him as His children. We are His. We know that He is the Creator and the Owner, but we also know from Scripture it's very clear that He delegates responsibility to His church, to His children, to His people. All of the resources that He pours out into His church and into His people, He has a purpose for them. And He has delegated responsibility to us to steward it well, and that is the, the, the word that kept coming up in my mind through all of this is stewardship. 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 Taking care, managing someone else's stuff, if you would. If it's all his, including me, including you, they belong to him, he has loaned it to us, so to speak, to steward, to take care of, to invest wisely in building the kingdom of God and all the other purposes. One of the scriptures we'll, we'll look at today, it talks about that he pours out his blessings so that we would have an abundance for every good work. Every good work. There are so many needs out there. We looked at this scripture a couple of different times. I just want to mention it today to start with. You'll see it in twice, and one is in Matthew, once in Luke, where it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And it's interesting, as I pointed out, of the way it's worded. It's not where your heart is, there will your treasure be. It's where your treasure is. I want to read a quote from John Piper. I found this in a sermon that I think he preached in 1982. So it's an old quote from him. And Pastor Piper said this, what you spend your money, your talents, 
and your time on says something about your view of God and what He means to you. What you spend your money, your time, and your talents on tells you something about where your heart is, what your view of God is, how you see Him. Last night, or yesterday afternoon at the, at the wedding ceremony, the pastor, uh, Pastor Doug Cherry, uh, Matthew's father, was the pastor who did the wedding. He made a point of a difference between an illustration and illustrating something versus demonstrating something. Most of us as Christians, at least in Christian company, would know enough to say, yep, God created everything. Amen. No problem with that. God owns everything. Amen. It's all His. No problem with that. He's delegated responsibility to us. Okay? That's pretty good. And then we get down to what are we doing with it? What are we doing with what He has given us? Are we demonstrating or are we just talking about it? We can give illustrations galore about God owns it all. It's His to use. anyway. But to demonstrate it. Does our lifestyle demonstrate the generosity of God? You know, God is a generous God. He gave His only Son. He gave His only Son that all that believe in Him would never perish and would have eternal life. What do you spend your money, your talents, and your time on? Well, if we want to get really practical, and I, I promise it will get easier after I get through the introduction. What do we spend our time, our talents, and our money on? Where is our heart, in other words? Where is our treasure? How do I evaluate truly where my treasure is? Is there an easy way that we can get a good picture of it? Well, you've heard this before, and I maybe even said it a couple weeks ago. If you want to check this out in your own life, where you are investing your money, your time, and your talents, look at your checkbook ledger first and see what you're spending all your money on. Are you being a good steward? Or is most of it being spent on my desires, my comforts, my entertainment? Or am I stewarding it to the kingdom? I'm convicted by that. But then I'm really convicted when I felt like the Lord showed me, look at your calendar and see what you're investing your time and your talents in. Now, I don't know about you, but most Americans, most of us have calendars that are just overstuffed with things we're supposed to be doing. And I'm not saying they're bad things, but am I really stewarding my time and your giftings the way that God wants you to? Where are you investing all your efforts? What club, what organization, what program? Is it something that's glorifying God? The time that we have, and you've probably heard the breakdown of how many you know, minutes and seconds there are in a day or in a whole year. And there's never more than that. What are we investing them in? If you want to do a check like that on your own life, you'll probably discover, like me, you feel convicted that maybe some changes would be appropriate. Last week we looked at Old Testament tithing. The tithe is the word itself meant tenth, one-tenth, or ten percent, one-tenth. That's what the word means. We saw that the tithing goes back to the very beginning of Israel as a nation. 
We looked at Abraham and his tithing to Melchizedek after God had given them a victory. And he had recouped his, his relatives and all of their belongings. And he met this priest named Melchizedek and he tithed to him. Then we talked about Jacob, how the experience with Jacob's ladder, the ladder ascending to heaven with the angels going back and forth and how afterwards he told God, I am going to tithe. One-tenth of everything's yours. Old Testament. It seemed like it was an expression of gratitude and thanksgiving. It wasn't mandated. They didn't have to do it. We see no hint of that whatsoever. They weren't forced at all. It was just out of an exuberance and overwhelming thankfulness that they gave this tithe to God and in the case of Melchizedek, who was a type of Christ. Then the Mosaic Law came into play. The law that Moses received. Now tithing became a law, a rule. Now it became, if you don't tithe, it is sin because you're breaking the law. And we are no longer under the law. They were to give 10% or else. See, the principle of the Old Testament tithe was this. You're obedient, you give, and then God will give you something. That is not the New Testament principle on generosity. It's not. The tithe we saw in the Old Testament was used to support the religious order, the priests and the Levites. We said the Levites were one of the 12 tribes, but they didn't get an inheritance of the land. The other 11 tribes were supposed to tithe to support the Levites. And it was used also for religious feasts when they would bring their tithes to wherever the designated place was, for example, Jerusalem. They would use part of it in the religious feasts, giving praise and glory and thanksgiving to God, and the rest of it they would tithe to the Levites and the priests. And it taught the people to also fear God. To fear not trusting Him and Him. And we saw this probably best illustrated in where we finished two weeks ago with Malachi chapter 3. Now if you've heard sermons on tithing before, you've probably heard heard him preach on Malachi chapter 3. The Old Testament prophet. When you read this, you'll see if it starts out by God accusing the people, Israel, of robbing him. And their first response immediately was, Lord, what are you talking about? How are we robbing you? And God speaks to them this rebuke. You are robbing me by not tithing. You are robbing God. And then he follows that rebuke with a consequence for them. He says, you're robbing God by not tithing, therefore you are under a curse. It was like the devourer had an opportunity to come. And they were under a curse. But he didn't stop there, thank goodness. He says there is a solution. He commanded them, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. In the Old Testament, bringing it to the storehouse. I believe, personally, under New Testament generosity, the local church is our storehouse. The place we get fed and worship corporately. And then he challenged them with those words. Test me in this. And I shared two weeks ago that I I believe it was really a test for Israel. God was saying, do you trust me? And whether we're New Testament or Old Testament, I believe that question's the same. Do you trust me? Test me in this. Let me show you how faithful I am to you because he followed up that challenge with the promises where he said, See if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out 
for you many blessings. And then he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. And then he even went further and says, all the peoples of the earth are going to call you blessed in reference to the Savior Jesus. Now, as soon as people go to Malachi, and we talk about Malachi, teach about Malachi, a common reaction in a lot of our minds, and I've been there, is, yeah, but that's Old Testament. That does not apply to us. And in the back of our minds, when we're saying that to ourselves, we're thinking, I'm not going to tithe. I don't have to tithe. That's Old Testament. And here's what I would tell you. You are 100% correct. It doesn't apply to us. It applied to Israel. It applied to Israel. They were commanded to tithe because if they didn't obey, they weren't going to get from God. In the New Testament, it changes completely. The concept is totally different when we get to the New Testament. Let me read a scripture first from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And we'll go from this. It says, Praise, or blessed be, the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Our spiritual blessings, which are greater than any material blessing. Just because it says spiritual blessings doesn't mean there's not material blessings. It just means in God's eyes, they're so much better, He didn't even mention them. They're a given in all of His promises about meeting every need that we have. Pouring out for us. What He's talking about here is the spiritual blessings. And that's the focus that we as believers should have in our minds when in terms of generosity. If you would go to Ephesians chapter 1, and you don't have to go there now, but if you were to read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, you're going to see this amazing list of spiritual blessings that belong to you and me because of Jesus Christ. Listen, I just wrote down a few of them right out of the Scripture text as I was reading through those chapters. Adoption as sons and daughters. Redemption through the blood of Jesus. Forgiveness of sin. Wisdom and insight to know His will. We have been tamed in inheritance. We are sealed in Him by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has given us a pledge of our inheritance. We are made alive in Christ. We are raised up with Him, seated with Him in heavenly places. We have access by the Spirit of God to the Father Himself. We are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. We are His sons and daughters. Now, I know I read those fast. But if that doesn't excite something in you, there's something wrong with us. We don't understand who God is and what He's done. I mean, if we were a black church in South, southern United States, you'd have all been standing up screaming and hollering hallelujah and amen and dancing around instead of stoic people in Minnesota. I, I, I've read those over and over, and there's more. I just grabbed a few in those first two, chapter 1, 2, and first part of chapter 3. Those are yours and mine as believers in Christ. And you didn't earn them and you didn't deserve them. But He loves us so much and He's such a generous God, He pours them out to us all through Jesus Christ. This is where the, the New Testament starts to land with this whole concept of generosity. Under the law, 10% tithe is an act of obedience. 
to receive blessings. New Testament generosity is out of thanksgiving, overwhelming thanksgiving for the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus and acknowledging that He created it all, it's all His, and we are to steward it for His glory. God, can you see why I was really convicted by this sermon? I didn't really have that much fun. It gets worse. No, it gets better. It gets better. Think about it this way. And this, well, this sounds kind of harsh. So if you weren't expecting harsh, now you are. If our giving only remained the same, as it was under the Old Testament law by a people who did not know Jesus and by a people who did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we'd be saying nothing changed in the New Testament. And the reality is, many, many of us don't even tithe because we have still got a law mindset. We're not under the law. We don't have to tithe. He isn't going to put a curse on you if you're not tithing. He isn't even saying that's sin in your life if you're not tithing. He has went so far beyond the tithe in this whole idea of generosity. And we're going to look at what the New Testament says as limited as it is about the tithe. So the picture changes significantly in the New Testament. We are in the covenant of grace. And grace is so much better than the law. Oh my goodness. How many of you would like to be living under the law? Man. That's why most of us left churches where they wanted us to, right? Grace of God. When we get to the New Testament, Jesus mentions tithing only twice. And both times he mentions it, it's in the context of legalistic abuse. In Matthew 23, 23, he says to the religious people, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Notice, first of all, he's talking to Jewish religious leaders and in saying, you know what, I'm really not impressed with your tithe. As a matter of fact, the weightier things, what you do with the stuff you're blessed with, whether it's vegetables or corn or beans or money or whatever it is, they're the, they're the minimal things. They're not significant. They're not, they're not the weightier things. The weightier things are mercy and justice and faith. In other words, those other ones, that should be easy. But now it's about generosity and he is laying it on the Pharisees. And in Luke chapter 18, verse 11, this is a picture Jesus is using to teach. And there's a Pharisee, a religious leader, and a tax collector. And they're coming to the temple. To offer. And here's the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. As soon as you read that, you know this guy's in trouble. I'm going to pray about me. 
And I'm going to remind you, God, just how great I am. How cool I am. How faithful I am. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <laughs> I mean, God, can you imagine? Religious leader, I'm going to stand up here and let's pray together. God, I thank you that I'm not like all these people. And you'd all go, Amen. <laughs> he says, I'm not like all these other people, all these, all these other men. I'm not like them. I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm, an adult. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like this crummy, low-life tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Now if tithes was a big deal, this guy's in pretty good shape at least on that part of his prayer. Jesus is so unimpressed. Standing over here, away from the Pharisee, is the tax collector. He can't even look up. And it says he's beating his chest and he's confessing his sin and his, his Lack of desirability at all to be in the presence of God or even the priests. And God basically looks at the Pharisee and says, guess what? You lose, he wins. He's a little more spiritual than that, but that's basically what he said. So he was making clear, he's, he, the tithe is not the cure-all that sometimes you hear from preachers who are trying to convince you you need to give more. It's not a cure-all. We are not under the law. Absolutely. We're not under the law. He affirmed it for Israel. He didn't discourage it at all. But he says you should be way more intent on the more important matters. Faith, etc. You know, you can try tithe everything you own and still be lost and not know God. Because it's law. So Jesus only spoke on it twice, and both times it wasn't in a very positive sense. Let's look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of our New Testament. Paul never once mentions tithing. Not once. Now we don't know what he taught all those churches he helped plant. He may have taught them some concept of tithing. Maybe even use the word. I don't know. We don't know because it's not in the Scripture. But he gave us plenty of instruction that we can get out of his writings to the churches. In particular, the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, he says, Now about the collection for God's people. Notice, it's a given. Now about that collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian church to do. On the first day of every week, which is Sunday, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Now we could go and break that all apart, but basically it's this. It was assumed there was going to be a time and an opportunity for the people to give, to support God's work, God's people. And he also is saying, you know, in keeping with your income. There's something that your giving will be in relationship to what you have earned. doesn't mention tithe, but there's something there in, God, in, in the rules and the, the concepts that Paul's laying out for the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 through 5, he wrote these words. And it's in regards to the Macedonian church, which is an amazing testimony 
about generosity. It says, out of the most severe trial, they were going through a tough, tough time. Their overflowing joy and in their extreme poverty, out of that welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they pleaded with us, urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. I can't afford to give. Boy, is that a a lie of the enemy. It's a lie of the enemy. God blesses a generous heart. We'll read a couple scriptures further in Corinthians where it talks about a principle that we've all heard many, many times. You sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. You sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. In every area of our lives. But what I want to just point out for just a moment there is the last verse, chapter, uh, verse 5. And they gave not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. Do we belong to the Lord? Do we believe it and demonstrate it? Or do we just say it because we know we're supposed to? They first gave themselves to the Lord and then they gave themselves to Paul and they gave in keeping with God's will. That tells me they were seeking the Lord and what we should give. They gave according to His will. They knew what the need was and they they were in a severe trial. Times were tough, but yet they were joy because why? The joy of the Lord was their strength. The joy of the Lord welled up in them and they gave above and beyond their ability. They, they sacrificially gave is what that means. Now when I've heard sermons about sacrificially giving on TV sometimes, I don't think they're really caring about where and what we're giving to. It's more of a guilt trip. They're giving, trying to get you to give out of compulsion, manipulation. That is not a New Testament way of giving or receiving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. God blesses a generous heart. He blesses a generous heart. And I'm not talking just about money. I'm just talking about our time, our talents, what we give ourselves to. He will bless a generous heart. I mean, there are many, many times where you have an opportunity to go and be a blessing to someone, but you're too busy. Unless you're not like me, that happens all the time. So I've got to decide, what am I going to put aside? To go do what God wants me to do. Goes on in verse 7. Each man should give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we talk about finances and we receive offerings and we talk about what the offerings are going to be used for, whether it's a building fund or, or the, the ministries we support or alms offerings to help people in need, 
you know, what we're really doing is just trying to inform us so we can seek God with some understanding and see what He'd want us to give. And why would we give? Because of the spiritual blessings that He has blessed us with. God, it's all yours anyway. It's all yours. And in verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. You'll have all you need at all times. The interesting part is, we, I, I love that, but why does he promise that? So you will have plenty for every good work that comes your way. For whatever he calls us to do. Whatever gets in the road of your destiny. He says you'll have enough. Trust me in this. The only other place in the New Testament tithing is mentioned is Hebrews chapter 7. And it just kind of goes back to Genesis chapter 14, pointing out that Christ was, Melchizedek was a type of Christ. That's the only other place. So that's it. That's all that's there. Therefore, it appears to me that the New Testament is almost totally silent when it comes to the specifics and explicit teaching on tithing. Which begs to ask the question, in my mind anyway, why? Why? I mean, I've said this many times, and a lot of you have heard me say it, and I've heard a lot of you say it. If everybody in this church simply just tithed, it would be astounding what we could invest in the kingdom of God. I mean, the 30000 or whatever it is we give to missions now would be nothing. Projects, helping in the communities, I mean, helping the poor, the hungry, those that don't have fuel in their, their, their tank for heat. I mean, there would be, we wouldn't need the government welfare programs if the church just tithed. But it's not a tithing problem. We'll get back to that. Maybe, and I think I said this two weeks ago in some form or another, maybe the question isn't really about how much I should give. Pastor Mike, should I tithe? Yes. That's not permission to stop there. Pastor Nelson, Pastor Mike, should I give 2%? Yes. Yes, please. You'll be blessed wherever you're at. Start opening up and do what Jesus did or God did say in the Old Testament. Test me in this. We're under grace. I can only imagine how much better it is under grace than under the law. So maybe the question should be, how much should I keep? Here's my 100%. Thank you, God. My car, my clothes, my home. Food in the cupboards that we've even forgotten we had. Outdated four years ago. We have such an abundance. I go to the cupboard at night about 9.30 when I'm going to eat again. And I can't find anything I like. So I remember the next day to buy more snacks. I mean, I, I think like that. I'm, I confess it. It's like, what am I thinking? Forget the health issue. 
it's just like I feel like the Pharisee. God, I, it's all about me. Meeting my needs. Meeting my wants. Meeting my desires. Meeting my desires for more comfort. Yeah, we're remodeling a room on our house. Jeez, can you imagine how guilty I feel preparing this sermon? Pray for me. I mean, I can spend more money going to the Twin Cities and going to a professional game and going out to eat and staying in a hotel than most of us would ever consider giving in a month. And I'm not the only one that does that. There are people somewhere else <laughs> that do that. I'm not going to give to that church. That preacher just begs for money all the time. Think about this for a minute. I'm <laughs> trying to get back on task. <laughs> there is a significant difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament besides the law of grace thing, which is unbelievably significant. But if you think about the Old Testament, Israel was not a missionary people. Really, they weren't. It was about following the law, God teaching them how to trust Him, showing His faithfulness, expecting obedience in return. It, it, but it wasn't a missionary thing. They weren't out there proselytizing like crazy, trying to get everybody to become a Jew, even though some did. But when it comes to the New Testament, we are basically a, called to be a missionary people. What I'm saying is the Old Testament didn't have the Great Commission. The New Testament does. Go into all the world and make disciples. Doing what it takes. Meeting needs. Spreading the Gospel. Ministering to people in every situation, in every circumstance. Doing all of these things. Advancing the Kingdom of God. Use the resources that I have blessed you with and put in your hands to steward to go about and do the work of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. There's a big difference. It's a big job. It's a huge task to do this. So with such a great task, it seems a little bit unimaginable to say that to do all that, all you need to do is give 10% like we did in the Old Testament and it will all work out. I think 10% is a nice target. Um, better than... Nothing, unless you're giving it out of law. Remember in Psalms 24.1, all things belong to God. Colossians 1.16, all things have been created by Him, through Him, and for Him, for His glory. All about His glory. We see in, the, the, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 25, 24, 25, where Jesus uses the parable of the talents to teach on stewardship. The better the steward, the more God puts in and trusts in you. I mean, if you and I were like that, if we all split up a few hundred thousand dollars or something, and this one returned a huge investment, this one's sort of good, and this one over here, nothing. They went and dug up the coffee can. Who are you going to give more to? And that's what Jesus is teaching. He will honor stewardship. He will entrust with those that have generous hearts more of His abundance to advance His kingdom. Notice, this is, is not about saying we shouldn't be rich, for goodness sakes. You know, if God gives you the gift of giving, I'm pretty sure you've heard me say before, He'll probably give you the gift of getting. 
Because He trusts you. He trusts you with His finances. He trusts that you will use your time and your talents wisely for the kingdom of God. The issue of stewardship, I believe, really isn't should I or should I not tithe. I believe the issue in most of the churches that we're in around the world is a lifestyle choice issue. the end of the year, if you... I'm on QuickBooks. Push a button, prints out everything that you spent your money on for the whole year. Kind of tells you what's important. And I get it. There are some things we need to have... Spend a lot of money on food. A lot of money on gasoline. A lot of money on your mortgage if you have one. Where is your giving to the Lord show up in that list? I believe that one of the reasons it's not talked about in the New Testament is that wasn't what God was looking for as his standard. I believe the bar was raised considerably in the covenant of grace. The 10% tithe was part of the law. If you look at some of the things, and I've talked about one or two of these, but when you look at some of the stories, remember Jesus saying, He who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Uh, that seems like 50%. Zacchaeus, remember the story of Zacchaeus? After he gets saved and he says to God, to the Lord Jesus, he says, I'm going to give half of everything I've got. That seems to be 50%. The rich young ruler came to him and said, Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know, if you want to do it right, give away everything. Give away everything. That's 100%. He couldn't do it either. In Luke chapter 14 it says, So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be, me, be my disciple. Ouch. Fortunately, it doesn't say whoever doesn't give it all away. It just says whoever doesn't renounce it. It's not yours. It's not mine. God, do it as it what you want. And he's such a loving, generous God. He lets you keep a whole lot of it to be blessed go beyond our basic needs to be able to bless us as His children. In Acts, we see again, all who believed were together and had all things in common and they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. You know, a number of years ago, I was reading of a church down in the southern part of the United States that they set up a system of everybody in that church, they were going to pay off everybody's debt. They had to do some things. You had to present your budget. You had to, to, to confess and, and promise to do, the, do what the leadership was telling you in terms of your money. They paid off every single person's debt in the whole church. Can you imagine there was a rejoicing on that day when the last person's debt was paid off? That's kind of a book of Acts way of thinking. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet so that they could distribute wherever there was a need. And then the verse that I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, out of that test of affliction and their lack, they gave abundantly. Those things give us a much better picture of giving 
in the New Testament. The spirit, I believe, of generosity in the New Testament is not how much of the money that God entrusts to me do I have to give. It's how much of what he blesses me with do I keep. Do I keep. And there's testimonies out there that you can read about uh, people who have started giving 10%, then they went to 20, then they went to 30, then they went to, and they ultimately they're giving away 90% and living on 10%. Or you've heard stories of Mother Teresa who just nothing materialistic. Forget it. Just to serve God. As I said before, the financial issue in the American church, I don't want to put that on all the world, but in the American church doesn't seem to be tithing Lifestyle choices. How do we choose to live? What do we keep instead of give back to the Lord? Where is your treasure? Because that's where your heart is. Where is our treasure? But I want to conclude with a scripture that I shared a couple weeks ago. It was Paul talking to the church in Corinthians, in Corinth. And he was expressing his heart in that circumstance. But as I said a couple weeks ago, I believe what he was expressing wasn't just his heart, it was the Lord's heart. And what he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 14, he said was, for I don't want what's yours. I want you. The Macedonian church first gave themselves to God and then gave, even sacrificially. Are we all His? Do we believe it? Are we living a life that actually demonstrates the generosity of God? Or are we just illustrate it and talk about it? It really comes back to that test that I think God laid out under the law to Ma- in, in, in Malachi. was, you know, um, test me in this. Do you trust me? Do you believe in me or do you believe me? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for the abundance of blessings that you pour upon us. God, by your Spirit, remind us of all of the spiritual blessings in heavenly places that are ours. God, who we are in Christ, the victory that has been won for us, being your sons and daughters, having an inheritance, being joint heirs with Christ, seated in heavenly places with you. It goes on and on and on. Father, I pray that these blessings would be the priority in our lives and not just material things. But we give you thanks for all of the material things that you give us to provide every need that we would ever have. Lord, I thank you for generous people in this body of Christ. I thank you, Lord, that the way you have used them to meet every financial need that this church has had. And there's an abundance, Lord. We thank you and praise you for that. But Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would stir in us a greater conviction of what we have to be thankful for and what it truly would mean to be stewards under this new covenant of grace.
Father, I also pray that as we go our separate ways today, you go before us, go with us as you always do. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear the needs that come before us where we can demonstrate not only the love of the Lord but the generosity of the Lord to those that are in need, have lack, or in want. I pray, Lord, that all the words that I've spoken would be received in the way that they're intended. That no one, we, we're not guilted into giving to you. We don't want to ever want to be manipulated by anyone in our generosity. But Father, search our hearts. Give us those hearts of generosity that we can see your kingdom advance for your glory. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.